1: Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hanson. In light of Jesus' warning that we should beware of false prophets who are wolves in sheep's clothing, we continue to challenge our viewers to test what you believe and why you believe it. Before we get started on this show, we would like everyone to know that we do help people escape from polygamy. We will offer safe housing, a safe escape, transitioning time, long-term or short-term. If you have a need to know more about this, or if you know someone who needs to get out, you can call us toll-free at 877-425-9993, and we will talk confidentially about the situation. You can also find out more about us by going to our website, shieldandrefuge.org. want to contact us regarding our show or make a comment or if you'd like to be a guest on our show and tell us your story of being in polygamy, you can email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv There are audio versions of this program. They're available to download and take with you. You can find information on how to do that on our main uh, webpage, or you can go to SoundCloud.com/slash What Love Is This, and in addition to SoundCloud, our show is also on iTunes podcast. And now I would like to thank our co-host Earl Erskine for coming along and helping with the it's program. It's been fascinating. This is our
0: fourth of. Uh fourth one on this book, and it's just amazing.
1: It is very... It's
0: fun to have all these quotes kind of put together in this way. Some of them we've reviewed before, Mm -hmm. but to have them kind of in this context has been very fascinating. It is. It's
1: it's enlightening. And and it it touches both of our backgrounds, because you are from the LDS Church. I'm from a polygamy group. And it's interesting how how different our teachings were, and yet how same, same, how alike they were in so many of the different areas, too. what
0: we didn't know. What we didn't know.
1: (laughs) That's right can hurt us. The past three shows, we have been reviewing a book entitled Mormonism Against Itself, and it was written by Raymond D. Moore, and this show is part four of our review of major topics that are covered in the book. You know, we do strongly suggest that you investigate these things for yourselves. You can buy the book at Amazon.com. That's where I got mine. I don't know where else it's available. I haven't looked, but I'm sure Mm -hmm. you could Google it and find out. The next few topics that we're going to deal with from the book is the nature nature of God. First, is God omnipresent, which means is God always everywhere at the same time? It seems that the early Mormons who laid the foundation of Mormon doctrine flip-flopped on this question. But if they were true prophets, why wouldn't they know the truth and be consistent? Let's first see what Brigham Young said about it in July. Notice the dates as yeah. we do these quotes. July of 1859.
0: Some would have us believe that God is present everywhere. It is not so. He is no more everywhere present in person than the Father and Son are one in person. The Bible teaches that doctrine precisely as it is.
1: Well, Brigham Young was wrong about that. The Bible teaches that God is everywhere at the same time all the time. But then... Seven years earlier, April of 1852, Brigham Young had preached that God is everywhere at the same time.
0: One of his other moments, I guess. (laughs) The Lord fills the immensity of space. What saith the psalmist? Whither shall I go from the Spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If you can find empty space, it will become useful for a hiding place to those who wish to hide themselves from the presence of the Lord in the great day of accounts.
1: So, God can't be everywhere at the same time, and then God is everywhere at the same time. So, how can contradictory statements like this come from a true prophet? Let's see what another seer and prophet said in February of 1855, Orson Pratt.
0: Everyone knows that it is absurd to believe in a personage being present in two places at once— But, says one, nothing is impossible with God. But I beg to differ, that if the scripture be true, there are things which are impossible with God. For it is said that it is impossible for him to lie, and if so, it would be impossible for him to act inconsistent with truth. He could not place his body in Europe and America at the same time, for that would be inconsistent with the simplest principles of truth.
1: Now, there is a lot that's wrong. Boy, he's got a
0: lot to learn there, doesn't he?
1: (laughs) I think he's learned it now, though. Now, there's much that's, of course, theologically wrong with his statement here. God does not have a body. That's the whole point, and we're going to be discussing that next. But suffice it to say that he doesn't believe God can always be everywhere at the same time. Oddly, during the same month and the same year, Orson Pratt said this.
0: Well then, shall we say when God is through all things and in and round about all things that it is not a stone when it falls to the ground? No, we will not exclude it from anything that exists. If God be in all things, he is in the stone.
1: Okay. (laughs) So, well, God did make everything, of course, but he isn't in everything. He's not in the stone. But Pratt is saying that he is in all these things at everywhere at the same time now both Brigham Young and Orson Pratt contradicted themselves about God's omnipresence and to set the record straight God has revealed himself as being spirit who is always everywhere at the same time we quote from Jeremiah
0: Yeah, chapter 23, verse 24. Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord?
1: Now, it sounds like when Brigham Young was talking about him being everywhere that he had been referring to a verse like this from the Bible because the wording is pretty close so what about God God having a body? Does he have a body or does he have a spirit? And all that fits in with his omnipresent. Um, Historically, Mormonism disagrees with itself on these issues. Of course, the polygamist doctrine is that God is a man with flesh and bones. He is a polygamist (coughs) with many wives and billions, if not trillions of children. Today's Mormons and polygamists believe that God has a body of flesh and bones. We quote from page 131 of the book.
0: It would be extremely laborious, but very instructive for the reader to search through all of the Mormon publications printed prior to 1842. In none of them is there any mention of God as being other than a spiritual being or of his being in the likeness of man. The two doctrines were simply not taught prior to that date.
1: So like we were talking about in, in the past show, there's a time when the doctrine teaching yeah. changed.
0: That includes 1820 and includes the Book of Mormon. we back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Now Joseph Smith taught in 1843 that God has a physical body.
0: The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. That's in Doctrine and Covenants.
1: Doctrine and Covenants. Joseph Smith taught at a funeral in 18, April 1844... The same thing.
0: God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves in all the person, image, and very form as a man.
1: Okay, so what did original Mormon teaching say about this? In 1833, Joseph Smith taught that God is spirit, we quote.
0: Ye, the church, were also in the beginning with the Father, that, is, that, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth.
1: In 1835, Joseph Smith agreed with himself that God is spirit and that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yeah, this is from the,
0: lec- uh, the Lectures of Faith number five. There are two personages. They are the Father and the Son. The Father, being a personage of spirit glory and power, the Son is called the Son because of the flesh.
1: So we have contradicting teachings here about the very nature of God. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells us that God is spirit. And in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And we can trust what Jesus said. The next topic is also about the nature of God. Is God in a constant state of progression, or is it possible for God to change? Mormonism is against itself on this topic as well. Now, a God who changes, by definition, cannot be God. If he changes, that means there's some inadequacy in him at some point. But God, being God, cannot have any inadequacy or deficiency, or he wouldn't be God. By definition, in 1844, Brigham Young taught that God is in a state of eternal progression or eternal changing.
0: The God that I serve is progressing eternally, and so are his children. They will increase to all eternity if they're faithful.
1: There's always an if in there, isn't there? (laughs) Yep. Now, if God is progressing, then he is changing. But several years earlier, in 1835... Joseph Smith said, God doesn't change.
0: But it is equally as necessary that men should have the idea that he is a God who changes not. For without the idea of unchangeableness in the character of the deity, doubt would take the place of faith.
1: And in 1830, as recorded in Doctrine and Covenants, chapter 20, verse 17, Smith again confirmed that God is the same unchangeable God who created heaven and earth and all things in them, which contradicts the book of Abraham, by the way. Now, what does the Book of Mormon say about a God who changes?
0: (laughs) Moroni 9.10. And now, if ye have imagined up unto yourselves a God who doth vary, and whom there is no and whom there is shadow of changing, then ye imagined up unto yourselves your, a God who is not a God of miracles.
1: So again, Mormon speakers and teachers and preachers and prophets, those who were supposed to have the restored gospel truths, were unable to agree with each other on the nature of God. It's great to know that neither Jesus nor his teachings mm-hmm. ever change. True. We have a solid, dependable, unchanging foundation in biblical Christianity, which Mormonism does not have. Now, we cannot skip the next topic, which we we have...
0: Close to your heart, right? (laughs)
1: We have often covered this in the past, and we'll continue because that's what our show is all about. Uh, Mormonism is against itself in the doctrine and the practice of polygamy. Since God doesn't change, we can know that polygamy was either always the right thing to do, or always not the right thing to do. And Mormonism has flip-flopped on this in a huge way, and they are still in a state of flux about Joseph Smith's polygamy uh, versus today's polygamous. If Joseph Smith and the subsequent six presidents of the Mormon church were alive today and attempted to join the LDS church, they would be flatly turned away, but they would be received with open arms by the polygamy groups. Their practices then would be scorned today. Joseph Smith smoked. Most of those men drank coffee and tea, and many of them partook of hard liquor. The point being, if it's wrong today, it was wrong then, because God doesn't change. And the first seven presidents were polygamists, and not with just two or three wives either. (laughs) They had lots of wives. Heber J. Grant had the fewest with only three wives. Now, we want to start some quotes here. We'll start with one from page 148.
0: After the pronouncement in 1852 that polygamy was a Mormon doctrine, Mormon apologists scrambled to find examples justifying the practice. The most sordid statements made Jesus a polygamist and a prototype of male Mormons.
1: And that's exactly what they did. The next quote is a sermon given in 1853 and is an absolute falsehood.
0: Jedediah M. Grant in the Journal of Discourses. The grand reason causing his crucifixion was evidently based upon polygamy, according to the testimony of the philosophers who rose in that age. A belief in the doctrine of a plurality of wives caused the persecution of Jesus and his followers. We might almost think... They were Mormons.
1: Boy, that grates against me in a bad way. (laughs) In all the historical evidence and writings, even from people who were enemies of Jesus and from those who wrote maliciously about Jesus, none of them ever, ever even hinted that Jesus was a polygamist or that polygamy was the reason he was crucified. Even his worst enemies did not charge Jesus with that behavior. But the Mormons did. And it's an invented Mormon lie. The next quote questions the morality of our Savior and is also a complete falsehood.
0: (laughs) There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. It will be discovered that no less a person than Jesus Christ was married on that occasion. If he was never married, his intimacy with Mary and Martha and the other Mary must have been highly unbecoming and improper, to say the best of it.
1: It seems that the early Mormon polygamists would go to any length to justify themselves in their ungodly practice of polygamy. And we wonder just how far are they willing to go today as they continue to justify polygamy? And how far is the LDS Church willing to go today in order to justify Joseph Smith's polygamy and polyandry and pedophilia? Surely they would have a boundary where they finally stop (laughs) and look at their past teachings and learn how to admit how wrong their foundation is and apologize for leading so many people astray. Orson Hyde made another statement. We cannot overlook.
0: Also from the Journal of Discourses. Suppose I had with me three or four women, one combing my head, another washing my feet, and another shedding tears upon them, and wiping them with the hair of her head. I shall say here that before the Savior died, he looked upon his natural children and saw his seed.
1: Of course, making it sound like Jesus is surrounded by all these ministering wives and children. So he taught that Jesus was married, lived polygamy, and had children. Now, he talked about seeing his seed. The Book of Mormon in Mosiah 15 tells us that the seed Jesus saw are those who receive and believe his gospel. Unquote.
0: Mosiah chapter 15, verse 11 I say unto you that all those who have hearkened unto their words and believed that the Lord would redeem his people and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I say unto you that these are his seed.
1: So there yeah. you go. That doesn't mean he had children. So again, various Mormon polygamous prophets. Uh, Non-polygamous prophets also taught different doctrines at different times when even their own scriptures were contradicted. And certainly none of these are found in the Bible. Now, I was, of course, growing up in polygamy, I was taught Jesus was a polygamist. Were you taught that in the mainline church?
0: That's always been a... It was hinted at that the marriage of Cana was his marriage. Uh, Never really that he was a polygamist, probably, that he may have been married. Um... But, but never, a, I don't think. Were a you aware was, of
1: any of these quotes of the early Mormons that he no, was a polygamist? No, I never
0: heard of those. I hadn't been through the Journal of Discourses or anything. So, you hadn't heard yeah, of
1: any of that. No. What did you think when you first heard that that he had been accused of being a polygamist? That's why he was crucified. It was, it was yeah, that's
0: yeah. It's shocking. It, it's just uh, it's so blasphemous. <laughs> now it just seems crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, we again, in Mormonism, as I've said, we kind of look at, we don't look at it, the Bible as a standalone. It, right. It's all the things that are in the scriptures plus what the brethren have said. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you just take that all as scripture. And so anything that gets said, we just kind of think, okay, that's the truth.
1: That's the truth. And yeah. it's sad. It is very that sad. That we're it? so
0: blinded so easily. So easily,
1: yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not forget that from 1831, when Joseph Smith first claimed that God gave him the new and everlasting covenant of plural marriage, that he and his close cronies admitted to each other the essentials of plural marriage, but they denied it to the rest of the Mormon church membership in the outside world. I always wondered why they would do that if, if polygamy was essential. Why didn't they tell the others how, to, how they could go to heaven? Yeah, but they right. didn't. They kept it a secret. Their, their, their own scriptures condemn polygamy, and taught that only monogamy was acceptable, yet they continue to secretly take more and more plural wives, threatening each woman that God decreed that it was uh, important and that they would suffer eternal destruction if they opposed it. And today, the LDS church rejects polygamous, but not polygamy. No. They, they no. still hold polygamy as being a higher principle. They justify their history of polygamy. They believe polygamy will be persecuted in the future and in heaven, yet or practiced in, yeah. in the future and in heaven. Yet polygamists of today are scorned by them. Isn't that kind of hypocritical? And polygamists today, well, they continue to live precisely as Joseph Smith commanded them. No. Polygamy, uh, plural marriage, to attain eternal life is their savior. Despite flip-flopping on the doctrine of polygamy, it along with their racism, these two today are the most denied, yet in their time were among the most esteemed doctrines they ever professed. Now, the book has a separate section entitled The Reasons for Mormon Polygamy, and and this is important because various myths circulate, giving a wide variety of reasons why there were Mormon polygamists at all. Even though there is plenty of accurate information available, the myths continue, and they are always designed to make Mormon polygamy less distasteful, (laughs) even benevolent. So we quote from page 187.
0: Before I read that, don't you think that's one of the reasons they lied about it, like in England and other places where they were doing missionary work? If they had actually told people that they were doing polygamy, they may not have had those people coming. They in, would have, to have America. lost converts, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. big time. So here's section 132 stands, and it's still in the Doctrine and Covenants. Right. Section 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants commands eternal marriage and polygamy. It states that the practice was instituted for the Lord's glory polygamy required better explanation than than that since it was contrary to civil law but mormons found it difficult to provide it that did not stop them from trying
1: <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stop them from trying and they still try they're still making up stories of why they live in polygamy and believe me they're they're they they're trying to look for better explanation every time but they and they couldn't so they placed the burden of the blame on god himself now, Joseph Smith's revelation, section 132, which commands polygamy, tells us that God was answering Joseph Smith's questions concerning Old Testament polygamy, which leads us to believe that he had an uncommon interest in polygamy, perhaps mm-hmm. even an eagerness, or better yet, perhaps he see or did see an answer to justify his adulteries. Amasa M. Lyon gives us one reason, or Lyman mm-hmm. gives us one reason for polygamy.
0: I say that plural marriage is the great necessity of the age because it is a means that God has introduced to check the physical corruption and decline of our race.
1: Now, this is one strange strange reason for it doesn't say how polygamy is the means of stopping corruption. I find that interesting because every polygamy group I've ever been involved with or know anything about are corrupted to the core but from from other sermons that we hear from the early mormons the corruption that they seem to be referring to is prostitution they say polygamy stops prostitution well i don't think it stops prostitution for the women but it might for the men little did they realize that polygamy is prostitution because They sell their sex and their reproductive assets in return for eternal life. And that is worse than selling it for money. Hmm. And besides that, how many plural wives ever came from prostitution or were planning on going into it at the time? None of them. So that's not, it's just, like you say, they were trying everything they could to come up with a good reason for this. And then also 1 Corinthians 7, 2, God says that because of sexual morality, monogamy was to be upheld. So that falls in light of scripture. Wilford Woodruff explained that polygamy enabled the Mormons to engage in eternal sex while making eternal families. And that really is the bottom line.
0: (laughs) But the saints of God practice this principle that they may partake of eternal lives, that they may have wives and posterity in the world to come and throughout the endless ages of the eternity.
1: So that's what the bottom line is, eternal sex and eternal families. Orson Pratt said it was the best way to multiply righteous seed upon the earth. Of course, that implies that children born in monogamy were not righteous, which insults all good parents who weren't Mormon polygamists. Heber C. Kimball acknowledged that polygamy was the saving work of humans.
0: This is probably why we don't have the Journal of Discourses out so <laughs> I much think anymore. So, yes. <laughs> it is a principle that God has revealed for the salvation of the human family. And polygamy. the principle
1: is polygamy, polygamy. For the salvation of the human family. So according to them, polygamy was their savior. Mormon polygamists believe that to this very day. And one of the most ridiculous reasons <laughs> given for polygamy was by Brigham Young in 1873 in a sermon in Idaho.
0: And the Journal of Discourses, If we could make every man upon the earth get him a wife, live righteously, and serve God, we would not be under the necessity, perhaps, of taking more than one wife. But they will not do this. The people of God, therefore, have been commanded to take more wives.
1: So not everybody gets married, <laughs> and so the Mormons have to live polygamy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, like that they said, they scrambled to find justification for the polygamy. Notice that none of these Mormon polygamist men said the command for polygamy was to take care of widows and orphans. And did anyone notice that in all of their talk and teachings about eternal life and how to get there, the name of Jesus was very rarely mentioned. And then it was in the context of being a polygamist. We have one more part in this series Reviewing the book written by Raymond D. Moore Mormonism Against Itself um, Again, I bought it on Amazon.com That's a
0: fascinating book
1: And uh, I would suggest If you're looking into any of these things yourself to, to go to Amazon.com and order the book It's very interesting And I found, I found it accurate yeah. In the things I were looking at We have one more part, five That right. we're going to looking be looking forward doing to that next time
0: Like I was saying at the top, uh, it's just kind of interesting that that we would have all of these quotes kind of put together and and that he's put these uh, different conflicting doctrines that Mormonism and polygamists and others uh, have used and pros and cons right in the same religion. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, yeah and 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 being against itself it 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 actually is against itself because you can't believe in both doctrines at the same time so yeah. it's fighting against itself which is right which is right. right and and Jesus said the foundation well actually Corinthians tells us there's only one foundation and that's Jesus yeah. and yet they've laid so many other foundations to Well and to I go like what
0: it. you said earlier about them expecting to be their own savior. Mhm. Um, yeah. and that's a lot what we feel like uh, uh, well we mormons feel like as they go out and do missionary work mm-hmm. that they're becoming they're saving. they're saving you know how beautiful upon the feet of the mm-hmm. or upon the mountains or the feet of those Poaching who bring good
1: news yeah. and and polygamy was a savior and so it was baptizing for the dead they yeah. referred both to the both of them as being as used as... to save mankind yeah and jesus did and that and not
0: giving credit to jesus yeah
1: Yeah, it's all what we do, all the work that we do, and all the work that they say we need to do is totally unbiblical. Yeah. Never commanded in A- the Bible.
0: Another gospel.
1: Right. Thanks again, <laughs> yes, uh, Earl. We'll be doing verse or part five next time. You know, early Mormons and present-day polygamists believe that they are earning God's favor and eternal life by their practice of polygamy. They believe that they must make themselves worthy of God's love and forgiveness. But that's impossible for any of us. None of us are worthy of God's grace and mercy. No one can come to Him based on personal worthiness because all of us have sinned and fall short of the perfection that God requires. So the only way we can come to Him is based on His grace, His works, His merit, and His righteousness. John 6, 29 tells us that the works God requires of us is to believe. If polygamy were required, surely Jesus would have said so sometime, but He never did. Jesus alone is worthy, and He did our works for us, so all we need is. Is Jesus. Thanks for watching. God bless.
0: This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy What Love Is This. This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.